0: over Twitter, it's always linked to Devin Haney. What's the story there? Put it straight for us from the horse's mouth, so to speak.
1: Devin Haney, where well. <laughs>
0: you Maybe not such a good idea. OK, apologies for that. What is the story with, if you cannot swear? um, I went to Las Vegas for a holiday and Jordan Reynolds. I sparred him when I was hungover. My men do six. He, um, he pulled out after four, hit him in the third, and I chinned him in the fourth, and that's that. And, uh
2: Hey guys, welcome to the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. Um, first, probably first podcast since since Greg was on. Feedback was really positive, really good, and I'm glad because I think I've said it over a number of months that I think Greg Hack is one of the sharpest minds when it comes to boxing. And hopefully that brief introduction to Greg is enough for you guys to be interested in what guys like Greg have to say. And also hopefully what guys like I have to say and a lot of the guys I plan to bring on as well to have these sorts of discussions because it's important that you get not only a diversity of views of boxing, but you get quality views, views that come from deep insight, weeks, months, and years in the gym watching things develop and unfold so you get that understanding of the full story. And that's what that interview was designed to do. So if you haven't listened to it, just go back in the archives. It's only was the previous podcast. And have a listen to it, but also share it. So just share the good share the good vibes, share the good stories. I think, genuinely think Greg's a good man. And if I could, I'd have him over here training fighters because I think every fighter I know could benefit from a few months with Greg Hackett. Because one of the challenges with doing something that with Greg is, it's like a proof of concept. So I had to be able to show you guys that I can helm an interview on my own. I don't think the interview was perfect, but I think it was a great introduction and I'd like to get Greg back on. I think he will come back on. He said he will, but we just have to find the right topics, topics that are meaty enough and interesting enough for him to to want to speak his mind on. You know, like he was very vocal about Philly and he was very vocal about drugs and sport. And that's the sort of energy we want to bring to the podcast. I think that's what will make us different. and That's what will make us more interesting is not really that outside of view because Greg's definitely not a boxing outsider. He's at the thick of things. And I think the DAZN thing has probably brought him into sharper focus because, you know, he's got a couple of his close friends who are signed there, so that might be a platform for him. But he just gives you that alternative view that you're not likely to get on UK TV and definitely not in the UK media. So what I do want to say is, you know, these are the sorts of things we should be sharing. And, and here's why. I will go out and I'll meet people and they'll say, mate, I love the podcast. I think the podcast is brilliant. It's the best thing in the boxing world at the moment. Well, you know, in terms of what's being put out there. But then these guys aren't sharing. They're not sharing. They're not retweeting. They're not liking. So it's like they're, they're guilty pleasure. And this includes people who actually box and people who actually train. You know, no one's really trying to elevate the thing. Although, if you notice... I'm more than happy and willing to put people over. And I'll say, look, this guy's a good guy. Get behind him, get involved. And sometimes you need that reciprocator. This is how things grow. Things don't grow by you consuming them. Things grow by you becoming an advocate of that thing and making sure that other people consume it. And I think that's one of the things that bugs me. is If I measure the exposure I have in the sport versus what social media tells me, If I believed what social media told me in terms of likes, I'd go absolutely crazy because I then go into boxing events, the public sphere, and I have a different conversation. I look at the numbers that we're doing now, and I have a different conversation. So never be afraid to share. Never be afraid. Never act like you're too cool to like something because the fact that you listen to it's enough. I know who listens. So, you know, that's just probably my my plea to the guys that listen to this. Share it, spread the word, because that's the only way that people will feel empowered to speak their mind on boxing. You know, when I was on the New Age podcast, that's what I tried to do. I just came on and said, look, let me just be a guy that speaks his mind and says what he really feels, and that connected with people. Now I'm saying to you, we need to spread that word, why? So other people can believe and be confident that they can say how they feel, say what they think, you know, be themselves, and there's a space in this boxing world for them. No, yeah, that's yeah. So that's me off my hobby horse now, you know. <laughs> Back to the reason you came to listen today. So the reason I opened the podcast with the excerpt from Joseph Laws, and I I did censor it because I never trust Apple. I didn't censor it, Sky did, but I used the censored version because I don't trust Apple not to censor the podcast. So I thought, better safe than sorry. But Joe Laws is this really interesting contradiction. Because when you look at Joe Laws, he has a really good reputation in the sport as an amateur. Came from the right stock. But when you watch this guy box, he boxed for four rounds like a complete nutcase. He he boxed like a raw novice. A guy who just trusts his power and there's not much to it. And that's, that's fine in four-rounders. That, that Joe Laws we saw on Saturday would win most prize fighters. He'd have won most ultimate... Bo- he's it, That style's great when you have a short amount of time to execute. But what I found interesting was he was representative of a lot of what we have in British boxing. These strong, physically fit guys that just swing punches. There's no intelligence. I don't believe for one second Joseph Laws has any craft to what he does, which is why his his nonsense, and that's what it is. It's it's complete nonsense to say he schooled Devin Haney. I've watched the sparring, and I'm going to put it up on. I want to put it up on Twitter so you guys can also have a look. And if you watch Devin Haney, all Devin does is stay composed. He now re- he realizes he's not going to get knocked out by Joseph Laws, and all he has to do is see the big hooks coming. And what Devin Haney then does is says. How about I just learn how to deal with this? Yeah, I don't need to knock this guy out because he's giving me good work. And so Devin gets into learning mode where he's trying to read him and he's just dealing with shots, he's dealing with attacks and nullifies him. So this myth that somehow, you know, big swinging Joe Law school Devin Haney is nonsense. British boxers can't school the best of the United States system. We're so far off most of our trainers aren't good enough. I don't care what profile you have, I don't care what tournaments you've been to, judge a trainer by the product. If the product's no good, the product's no good. Don't pretend otherwise. And Joe Laws is that prime example of that doesn't really jab with any quality no power in the jab and he's just looking to swing for the fences and once you tuck up on him there's not really much he can do and so Saturday you saw that and it's great for a float and it was a great fight to get everyone hyped for the two fights that came afterwards which for the record let's be clear I've given her a hard time before but they were two really entertaining fights now, I say entertaining fights are not good fights because essentially you had sort of British-level, sub-British-level guys boxing against each other. Now, if you think that's a high standard of boxing, you know, opinions, horses, courses, <laughs> I'll leave it to you guys. But we essentially just had two, we had two fights featuring in each of them, two guys who were roughly the same level, and the fights were competitive. The fights were competitive, and the scoring was interesting. No, one was controversial, one less so. But give Eddie his due. It was a solid card. That's what we want to see on Saturday Night Fight Night. That is exactly what we want to see on free-to-air TV. Build these guys up on these free-to-air shows. Let us get excited about them. Let's find out who's the cream and who's not. And then that cream you find, put them on pay-per-view. We're okay with that. Because you'd have given us all the evidence we need to believe that they're pay-per-view. Right now, we're just seeing guys go from being on the lower card on the show to then just being pay-per-view. Because Eddie Hearns just got slots to fill. And it's not good enough. I don't want to be overly critical because I quite enjoyed Saturday's card. The standard of boxing wasn't great. But the competitive of the fights made it up. And, you know, I got a a hard time for my friend Don. You know, when I was talking about the Cheeseman fight. But I think that's probably the, the one I want to touch on. So, do I think Ted Cheeseman was robbed against Scott Fitzgerald? Ah, no, I don't think Ted was robbed, but if you tell me Ted Cheeseman was robbed and that is your sincerely held opinion, I won't tell you that you're wrong. And that's the key difference here. How you view a fight is just a matter of opinion, there's no logic, you know. I have an opinion. And yes, you know, I understand some of the elements are going to boxing at a greater level than the, the average fan. Absolutely. That doesn't make me a judge. Nor does it make any other trainer a judge. Nor does it make any other ex-boxer a judge. There's a reason why judges are paid to be judges because only judges know what it's like to be judges. Now, I had it 7-5 to Fitzgerald. I gave him the last four rounds which then made it easy to pick three out of eight to give him, right? It did. You know, The first one, probably four or five, and then one of seven or eight. And you kind of got the rounds that you feel Fitzgerald was competitive enough to win. But some of those rounds, you could have given to Ted. It was entirely about what you liked on that night. It wasn't about who's right. It wasn't about who's wrong. It was about... What did you like on that night? And I liked the fact that Fitzgerald controlled the geography of the fight. I liked the fact that he made sure that he stayed in the middle of the ring for the majority of the fight. We often ignore the psychology of boxing. When I see a man in the middle of the ring and he holds the middle of the ring, it's like British Bulldog, isn't it? Like, you're that guy. It's a position of dominance to be in the middle. And... The way Scott was moving, it was confident. Ted was a bit skittish. And you could see that Ted Cheesman was kind of caught between two styles. You know, his instincts are telling him, just plant your feet and trade with this guy. But you could see his training had told him, get on your toes. Probably a little too much initially. And so there wasn't that intelligence that comes with mastering a style where you know how to apply it effectively. And that's what to say, Ted can box. Ted can box. But Ted hadn't boxed that way before. And he hadn't done it for 12 rounds. And when you haven't done something for 12 rounds, you can't be 100% sure you can do it. And you could see that was playing on his mind as the rounds wore on. But you have to give Ted credit for changing. You have to give Ted credit for making adjustments. British fighters rarely do. But it was good to see Ted... I mean, He made the change in the style. And I would like to see Ted Cheeseman... If I'm being honest with you, work out who he really is. Is he the the boxer, the counterpuncher, the guy that's gonna be doing it from the outside? And if he is fantastic, fair enough. We've seen the uh, thing was Sergio Garcia manage to do it against him. And he tried to do it against Garcia. No, Garcia, Fitzgerald. But if Ted's heart says, I want to be in their trading, then his team have to let him be that guy. And then all you do is you layer on the intelligence and the slick defense that enables him to do that safely. There's a reason why guys like Pereira, Morales, Marquez, Pacquiao are still reasonably with it after war war after war, round after round of savagery. Why? Because there was a degree of cuteness to what they did. They knew how to ride shots, they knew how to avoid shots, and they knew how to... Turn their offense into their best form of defense. We don't teach that. We should be teaching that. That's what Ted needed. In fact, that's what Scott Fitzgerald needed as well. You have to remember, these are two guys that, before they turned pro, Ted was a golden boy. Yeah, Let's be clear about this. Ted was the golden boy. He was the one that everyone was excited about because he had that ness to him. Is that a word? It's about to be. He had that same... He had the same traits that Canelo had. You know, doubling up that hook, always able to find the body from any position. And you know, he was able to work the body, bring it up to the head, and he was, you know, capable of stopping guys. And somehow along the way, he never evolved that style. He never tacked on the defense. And he he had war after war. And he said that himself. Like, you know, he, he's not even 25. And he's done 100-odd rounds, and they've all been hard rounds because he doesn't shy away from a fight. So I'm high on Ted Cheeseman. I think Ted will be, he'll be in entertaining fights. Is he a world-level fighter? He's got time. That's the thing we need to say now. He's got time. The question is, does he want to learn? Is he a British-level fighter? Absolutely. You could put him in with Fitzgerald again. It'll be a different result. I have no question about that. You could put him in with Fowler. It'll be a good fight. But he needs to decide who he is as a boxer. Who is Ted Cheeseman when he gets in the ring? And then his team just have to layer that in for him. But I feel sorry for Ted. Because you could tell he was traumatised. And, you know, he'd he'd put his soul into that. And it hadn't been enough. Which is why I absolutely felt sorry for him. You know, 14 weeks was no joke. Level
0: again, and I'm still only a baby. Do you know what I mean? I'm not 25 till next August. Do you know what I mean? But they didn't want me to do it. They don't want me. My face don't fit, and that's exactly how it is. My face don't fit. Everyone I spoke to, I got 50, 60 messages on there from random people. Not even my own people. From random people. Disgusting robbery. What was Sky watching there? What was everyone watching there? What was the judges watching? What can I do? Do you know what I mean? Why don't Sky like me? Do you know what I mean? I take every fight. I, I ain't took no easy fights. Look at my last fights. Look at all my fights. They're not easy fights. Since, since I've had seven fights, I've been taking risks, after risk after risk. Do you know what I mean? I'll push for the fight with Sergio Garcia. It weren't we got offered it. I said to my manager, Charlie, this looks like a good fight. Let's push for this. European title. I've been pushing, pushing, pushing. Since I had five fights. Come and town, I want the English title. Come And I fought for the English title. And I fight. What more do I have to do? I'm, I'm giving everything to sport. I'm taking, making sacrifices. Putting entertaining, entertaining fights on. Do you know what I mean? Although I weren't rushing forward tonight, I was boxing, picking a jab, making a miss, slipping, hitting him with the uppercut. What, what can I do? I,
2: I... That's when you feel for a boxer. And yes, there's a lot of emotion in what he's saying, but in, and even in the heat of the moment, there is that question of, why don't Sky like Ted Cheeseman? Does his face really fit on Sky and does his face really fit with Matchroom? And to answer that, we need to go back to understanding that Ted is a product of the time where Hearn didn't really know what he wanted to do with prospects. And we're going to come on to this later on in the podcast. But Hearn didn't know what he wanted to do with prospects. So he picked the guys that had a buzz. These were self-made guys who had a buzz and a following and could sell tickets. And he put them on shows. And then he got the Olympians. And once the Olympic model kicked in, he didn't really care because there's only so much investment you can make in prospects on the way up. In contrast, look at what he's done with the Americans. We're going to come on to this. But he's more invested in those Olympic-level guys. And let's be honest, Ted Cheeseman's not like, he's not far off that standard. He could have stayed in GB and probably got to that level. But to be honest, McCormack's a bit special. So at 69, I, don't, I think he would have struggled. Notwithstanding that. Ted was a hell of a guy, but what we're seeing is Hearn's just looking away from these guys, and these are your your Saturday fight night sort of caliber guys, and they will be the lower order on your pay per view shows. But there's no investment in them. Like, t- Eddie Hearn will not be putting his hand in his pocket for Ted to fight for a world title anytime soon. You know, Ted's going to have to earn it the hard way or change promoters, in my opinion. And I like Ted, I like him as a boxer. I think he's. He's a lot more interesting as a person than his character would suggest. So don't be fooled by that. He's a far more interesting guy. But I do feel for him. And the next 12 months will be important. And I hope his team get behind him and give him everything he needs to succeed. So that brings us on to Scott Fitzgerald. Another guy that's seemingly not loved by Sky. And another guy who's self-made there's always this problem when these South Main boxers end up on the Sky platform they never get a fair shake Craig Richards never gets a fair shake Isaac Chamberlain never gets a fair shake Scott Fitzgerald never gets a fair shake you know even Eggington after he stopped being Barry Hearn's pet project never got a fair shake did Frankie Gavin get a fair shake probably not and then Ted never got a fair shake there's something about the Sky love people they've created And you can understand that it's kind of like having your own kids, isn't it? You're always going to be emotionally invested in those guys and push for the opportunities for them. Fair enough. But Fitzgerald keeps booting that chessboard up in the air and at some point they're just going to have to say we need to get behind Fitzgerald. But to do that, Fitzgerald has to then take it seriously. I think he's at a point now where he's British champion. It can go very well for him or very badly. Number one, he can box. Skill-wise, he can box. If you watch him in the Commonwealth Games, you'll see that's clear. His issue is he hasn't got the lifestyle. And you saw it when he beat Fowler and he just went absolutely And You've managed to follow it on Twitter and you were just like, this guy's not training. And I don't care what anyone says. In your 20s, you should be living in the gym. The guys that should be having two big camps of a year are guys like Floyd, Canelo. The guys who have done the 35, 40 fights. By that point, you're like, yeah, okay, I'm experienced enough that I know what I'm doing. I can guide myself through a boxing year now. But these young guys, your Fitzgeralds, your Cheesemans, should never be out the gym. They should never be that far off their fighting weight and they should always be ready. And the fact that he isn't worries me. So I'm hoping that now that he's got this British title and he's a dad again and all these things kick in, I'm hoping we see Scott Fitzgerald try and fulfil his potential. What what he can do in the Northwest? Mm, only time will tell. But, I wish him all the best. He boxed. He boxed in an interesting way. He looked like he struggled to make weight. And you could tell that in the ring because he was boxing on instinct and memory. The jab wasn't crisp. The footwork wasn't crisp. But what he was always able to do was always able to be there or thereabouts in the exchanges. So when Cheesman would miss with that wild uppercut, there'd be a counter waiting for him. I think he struggled with the notion that Ted Cheesman was trying to counterpunch him because Fitzgerald by nature is a counterpuncher too and so after round eight what you saw was Fitzgerald just commit to coming forward and just putting a beating on Ted I'm not saying he put the beating on but that's what he wanted to do and it was it was good and if you thought he won I get it if you thought it was a draw I get it if you thought he lost I also get it because there was so much that wasn't good in that fight that you could give it to either person in the round. So I get that. But now it's like, it seems that, once again, Sky intervened to to derail the self-made man, and they say, right, Fitzgerald has to fight Fowler. Not necessarily interested in that at the moment. I'd like to see Fowler fight someone like a Ted Cheeseman or Kieran Conway. Put Fowler in hard. Let Fowler fight someone tough, and then let's really find out what he's got as well, because Ted's had to do it the hard way. Let Fowler do it the hard way because that will put to bed any rumour that the Olympians have it easier than the non-Olympians. You know, but it seems that, you know, Scott Fitzgerald thinks that, you know, Fowler's going to be like work. Would you take somebody like Fowler for your first defence or would you
1: want an easy one just now and then maybe step? Uh, I think he is an easy one. But um, I am, um, but no, um, there's other things I'll be looking at first. And, uh, you know, I've already beat him, you know, I, you know he's bound to be desperate for it. I, I I don't need it like he does. So um, we'll see uh, we'll see what my team thinks. And
2: yeah, so I think that that's a good way to to draw a line under what was an entertaining match from card. You know, it wasn't the, the creme de la creme. I could I could, you know, I could touch on Ritson versus Robbie Davis Jr. But it was a fight that I don't feel told us anything. I don't think Ritson will ever be better than British level. And I don't think Robbie Davis Jr. will be, you know, better than where where he was before. And I think we we realise that now. That anyone who's a bit of a boxer puncher will give him trouble because he doesn't seem to have the pop in his shots to cause the top guys trouble. You know, Ritson was always going to be the bigger guy. I think Ritson boxed at 69 as an amateur. Robbie Davis might have boxed at 64 or 60 as an amateur. And you could just see in the physiques that, you know, Robbie Davis is quite narrow and, you know, quite snake-like in terms of having really narrow shoulders. Rob, You know, Lewis Ritson looks solid there, but neither of them, you know, they're not great boxers, are they? There wasn't much intellect in that fight. It was very much, you hit me, I hit you, and we'll see who, you know, who does more damage over the course of the 12. Just to hear that the winner of that is in for a world title shot potentially is an utter, utter embarrassment, isn't it? It just shows you that... Light welterweight, or super, mid, super lightweight, however you want to call it, is such a stepping stone weight that the people that tend to stay there aren't really good enough to be lightweights and definitely aren't good enough to be welterweights. But no, it was good card. Uh, give Hearn his credit. They managed to pull it together. And, you know, it's good momentum heading into October 26th. But if you know me well, you know I have to always come back to the topic of Hearn because he does things sometimes that i respect but also leaves me asking more questions than than he can possibly answer you know just to give you examples yesterday like being critical
1: it's not about calling someone out it's just being honest and saying that you're being blessed with this opportunity we've say we've picked you we've selected you because we believe you're a brilliant talent and we believe you're going to go on and win world titles if you don't perform I'm not going to sit there and say, oh yeah mate, that was great, and then go and talk behind your back and say, oh that was not very good, was it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm just going to tell you how it is. I'm going to say, look, I have to be honest, that weren't a great performance. And I felt that Ofer Jones last week, by Slanov just put in two average performances. When they perform really well, I'm going to rant and rave about them, I'm going to tell the world, and they're going to get the better opportunities. I said to Amo yesterday, everyone's fighting for, can I get on the O2? Can I get on a KSI card? Can I get on a Saudi card? And basically how it works in terms of the process to get on those cards is if you do really well or you look great, you're gonna get those opportunities. It's not rocket science, that's life. If you put in a performance that don't, a lot of the time, I'm I'm that guy where I get so excited, he'll finish it by, I'll go straight up to him and go, right, you're on, (laughs) and that's what we did in, in LA. In LA. He finished his first at four. Wow. I went out and said, right, you're on Madison Square Garden. He was like, whoa. No, it's you know, and now, when he puts in another good performance, I think you've got to be rewarded when you put in a great performance with getting your date immediately. You know, because I'm so excited. So, and wow, that impressed me. So, like, Ofer Jones and Vyassana, amazing fighters. They've got great futures. But I'm not going to lie, when they put in a performance, because everyone else sees it, And you've got to be critical sometimes. And, you know, boxing's the toughest sport in the world. And these guys are blessed with the amazing opportunity. They're fighting all over the world. He's flying to London. He's coming up here to watch the fight. You've got to put it in and you've got to perform.
2: Absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. That is how boxing works. And I, look, we've all sat through interviews where someone says, I'm just glad to get the rounds in. I'm just glad to get the rust off. And we as fans look and go, that's not good enough. And it's good to see that Hearn's putting this pressure on his prospects to go out there and perform because the matchmaking is designed for them to perform. This is what all promoters should be doing. And it goes back to what I said. December 2nd, go and listen to the podcast where I said, a promoter's job is to give you a platform to convince the fans you're worth getting behind. The promoter's job is not to tell the fans to love you. You can do that by your performances in the ring. That's why I called out the bullshit I saw on December 1st. It was that clarion call. It was me saying, look, you, people are going to go on ring talk and tell you you boxed well. No, you didn't. A lot of British guys haven't boxed well for the last two years. That's when you see, you know, look, let me give you an example. Dan Aziz. Dan Aziz gets the box in the Sky Show. What does he do? Wins by stoppage. Statement. Andre Sterling boxes on ITV. Gets knocked down. People think, ah, this guy's all talk. Gets back up. Wins. Statement. Craig Richards fights Andre Sterling on the Sky Show. Wins. Statement. Knocks out Jake Ball. Statement. These are performances that should be getting rewarded but they're not, you know. In and amongst all of what Hearn just said there, what he didn't say was he never cared about these guys. He never invested like he is now. Why Hearn doesn't invest in his homegrown stable, I don't understand. Like, why was Isaac Chamberlain never on a private jet Why was Isaac Chamberlain never in the inner sanctum? Why isn't Craig Richards in the inner sanctum? Why isn't Ted Cheeseman in that inner circle? Why have these guys never sat in Hearns, Rolls Royce or his Bentley? Why have they never been flown here, there and everywhere? Why don't they get taken to America so they can get used to it? Why does Emma Williams get this VIP treatment to come over here? Why? No, look, Regis Progress come over here and he's been far more low-key and he's sort of done things the way I would want to and I like Emma but I feel that her sending out a message that says I probably could have done this with Craig Richards I probably could have done this with Isaac I should be doing it with Joshua see, I definitely should be doing it with Akoli but I'm not and I don't know why and maybe you know the the ship has sailed for those guys in terms of matchroom? I have no idea. But it ties into this thing where Hearn has never been a fan of Craig Richards. He's never been a fan of Chamberlain. He's often said Isaac is area level at best, and every time Isaac proves him wrong, he always finds a reason to criticise him. That's why Isaac doesn't get opportunities. said the same thing about Craig. said if Craig didn't sell tickets, he'd have been shifted off. There were rumours that he told Craig, if you don't fight Bullioni, you're off matchroom. So Craig's been fighting in defence mode ever since. Craig's been fighting to prove people wrong and he's done it successfully. Why won't Hearn invest in these guys? Because these are guys who will be loyal to him because they're from here and they want to be stars here. Put them in the private jet, take them to Newcastle. Why can't the Newcastle fans go and meet Craig Richards? Why do they have to meet Ammo? Why? He's only going to come here once or twice a year. That's the disappointing thing about this whole match from the zone thing. The money's not going to the people who helped build Eddie Hearn up. He's not looking out for those guys. He's not. And it's, it's not right, you know. What, what are you going to do? Send Craig to Italy? Send Craig to box in Germany? What, let Craig box in America. You know, Dan Aziz gives you a performance that anchors one of your really crap pay-per-views and Dan is man of the match. MVP. And you don't invest in Dan Aziz? And I know MTK have got him, but you can't find a slot for Dan Aziz? So when people say, I'm a Hearn hater. No, I'm not a Hearn hater, but from what you've just heard, this money is going on all of these guys. Devin Haney, Ammo Williams are getting a marketing budget. In this country, in America, I understand it. Fine, go and build them in America. In this country where Hearn has not put those sorts of dollars and pounds behind Chamberlain, behind Richards, guys who don't miss workouts, guys who don't turn fights down very often, and you just leave these guys to rot, and you wonder why people say Hearn doesn't care, and you wonder why people criticise Hearn, because we see this kind of behaviour. Right now it's just cool to have Americans with you. He likes that American swag, it plays well to his American audience, that he's trying to woo as well. And this shit isn't even new. Dennis Hobson was doing this. And the Hearns were laughing at Dennis Hobson when he was spending money whining and dining people. When he was saying to fighters, go out to Miami, learn how the Americans do it. Go and toughen yourself up. And Dennis was putting his hand in his own pocket. This wasn't his own money. So when people say, ah, Dennis Hobson, this, Dennis Hobson, that, a lot of the stuff that people are doing now, Dennis Hobson was the first to do. Go and do your boxing history and understand that in the pantheon of promoters, he's up there as an innovator. But back to Hearn, like, it saddens me because I've kind of lived through a few guys' careers and I know that Hearn hasn't shown them any love. And so to see guys like this, three, four fights in, getting this kind of love, it's weird. Do you know what it's like? It's like being married for years and your partner's like, I'm not going to take it in the ass. I'm not going to take it in the ass. I'm not going to take it in the ass for 20 years. They meet someone new, 20 years younger. First thing they do is they take it in the ass. Jesus, man. How, I you mean, you'd be heartbroken. You'd be crestfallen at that point. And I can understand why these guys are watching, you know, you know the treatment, the, the new prospects are getting and going, Hearn really doesn't love us and probably never did. I I don't even know what to say to them. To look after yourself, number one, first
1: and foremost. Number two, you need to look after your family. Number three, you need to look after your community and your people. Number four, your country. And number five,
2: change the world. In that order. If only he looked after his people. If only he looked after the people who laid on the line in that ring for him to get rich off. If only he invested in them. But... I don't know. I really don't know anymore. But I don't think it's fair to give her a kick in. There's one thing I will give Hearn credit for. Like He's been on this real evangelical thing now of trying to right a lot of wrongs in boxing. And I want to do another podcast where I cover some of the American stuff. So the tragic passing of Patrick Day, the Baturbia fight. But this one I just wanted to just do a quick UK one. But one of the things he did talk about, and I do rate him for this above all else, is how important it is to stay disciplined and to keep listening.
1: No, 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 no. By the way, the ultimate criticism and the ultimate evaluation comes from coaching. right? But what you don't want around you in this game is yes men. You know, oh well done, Emma. Oh, that's brilliant. Because he goes off, he, get, he toodles back to Dallas and goes, oh, Eddie told me it was great. You know, bah, bah, bah. but there are a lot of people like within people's teams that are kind of yeah, but they're the, poor, they're the poor coaches. Yeah. You know, they're the ones that it's like, yeah, 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 the cheerleaders you don't want to be a chiller this is a relationship tutor mentor yeah sorry got out wrong <laughs> mentor tutor <laughs> yeah. right that's the relationship you do exactly as you're told by your coach yeah. not you wake up in the morning and you say all right coach uh, i'm a bit tired today so do you mind if we just do bag work instead of my sprints no, no, no fuck anything. off <laughs> shut your mouth get on, the, <laughs> get on the track yeah that's the respect that you have to have yeah
2: Truer words could never be spoken. And I think sometimes it's never seen behind the scenes how often fighters don't do as their coach tells them. Um, I think DeGale was definitely one for that. But many other boxers have been notorious for just doing what they want to do. And it catches up eventually because there'll come a point when your athletic gifts and your reflexes can't get you out of trouble. And in those moments, it's the years of perfecting your skills, perfecting your decision-making... Learning how to be cute on the inside, learning how to control range, listening to your coach, taking that criticism and growing. It's when, that's when everything kicks in. And a lot of fighters don't respect their trainers, but to be honest, a lot of trainers aren't that good. They're not that good. I would contend, and I've said this numerous times, the best trainers in this country are in your amateur gyms. Why? Because when you've got 40 kids with 40 different mindsets and 40 different ways of viewing the world, you have to teach all of those guys to box. So you really have to have your skills nailed. You know, unlike guys like McCracken, I'm still not convinced McCracken's a good coach because no one can show me a case study where he's taken someone's skill set and made it better. I haven't seen it. John O'Donnell, better without McCracken. Fury, better without McCracken. You know, everyone's been better without McCracken. I think Joshua would be better without McCracken. But, you know, we are where we are. And, and as for what happens in British coaching, I have no idea. What I do know for certain is it's not good enough. And don't be afraid to say that. Don't be afraid to say it publicly. It's not good enough. Collectively, I'm not picking out individuals at this point. Well, else? just realize what I just said. But... Collectively, the standard of coaching is not good enough, and we're not doing our fighters any service at the moment because very few of our boxers are equipped to go abroad and win and win with style. But, guys, I just thought I'd shoot something out for your early morning commute. You know, let me know what you think. Um, You know, I'd like to make something a bit targeted, probably midweek, where I look at some of the fights and actually, you know, really get my head into them. I think this was just more just throwing out some of my thoughts the weekend base and some of the stuff i was tweeting anyway so guys take care and as always instagram at highfield boxing twitter at highfield boxing get in touch thank you